Hi, here's Gina Godhills, co-founder of Latitude together with Brian and Yuri. You might have noticed this episode's a bit different, but not only because I'm the one presenting it. This week onward, we'll be sharing the most impressive panels we've had at Vamos Latam Summit. By the way, you can already click the link in the description to pre-register for our next awesome edition. There's no better way to open this series than with a chat I've had with Hernan Kaza, co-founder of Mercado Libre and Kazek Ventures. In this episode, Hernan and I talk about his biggest learnings as a startup founder, what made Mercado Libre a success, and how he evaluates segments, types of founders, and the current state of the market as a startup investor. This is the Latitude Podcast. Vamos Latam! The way that I'd like to walk us through this conversation is first going back to Meli and talking a bit with the perspective of an entrepreneur in mind. Hernan back then and Hernan today looking back. And if Hernan were to start a company today, that kind of thing. Next, we can talk about you as an investor and the investment perspective on the entrepreneurial ecosystem. And then third, we can talk a bit about the zeitgeist, the A's, the B's, the ups and downs, and where we are right now compared to all of the cycles that you've already seen. So the first question is, what would you say are your biggest learnings <laughs> so far looking back? Like maybe if you could come up with three things you've learned um, along the way, and you could formulate them as th three things that you've learned either as a general or things you've changed in the past that you've actually been learning and changing about your day-to-day? -day? Three things that, that I learned and I wish I had known before. Mm -hmm. One is, is very obvious, but I, I, I never get tired of emphasizing that, is the importance of the team. Uh, as an investor, as an entrepreneur, really that commands most of the decision that then it will make in, in your company. So the, the quality of the team, how you put the team together, what culture you build around that team is, is fundamental. And you can never, ever underestimate the importance of that. Mm -hmm. The second one is a concept that mathematically we all understand it well, is the compounding effect. But then when you're going through a, a business that has that effect, It's really hard to understand what that means, what you can really accomplish over time if you are patient and keep on executing. Uh, you were mentioning the case of, of Mercado Libre, $69 billion. Obviously, it took a long while to, to get there. The uh, company has, by now, 25 years almost. But uh, once you get into that curve, uh, it is really in incredible what you can, you can build. And then as an investor, also the same thing, right? If, if you wait, once you see that the engine is working, what you produce a year is probably more than what you produce the 10 uh, years before that one, right? And then if you wait another year, it's more than what you produce in that uh, uh, prior year. So really the, the effect of, of that compounding is, is very important. So if you're in the technology industry, I think it's, it's something to, to have in mind as an entrepreneur. Sometimes you're facing the decision, should I sell, should I not sell? Uh, and the compounding effect might make you think that in some instances it's great to, to, to wait. Uh, and then the, the third one is the importance of, of conviction. Like you were referring uh, at the beginning in your remarks about the market and how it goes up and down. And clearly now we're in a moment that 
is it more shaky versus what it was a couple of years ago? Uh, but I think entrepreneurs need to ignore the noise, need to focus really on the long term. And if you are convinced about what you're building, that that's the dream you want to pursue, keep on doing that. The market will be at some point at a high point and another point in a, in a, in a low. It doesn't matter. I think technology, when you look at it from a distance, is something that keeps on evolving. Innovation is something that keeps on evolving. So, so make sure you act with, with, with conviction. So I say those, those three things, team, uh, the, the compounding effect, and, and conviction. Great, thank you. And this is particularly interesting to me because uh, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm an investor too, so thank you. Now, what about if you could go back in time and you actually could do things different for Meli? Understanding things that might have not been mistakes but could have been done differently. What are some of those things that you might have done differently? Yeah, a few things. When we started Marco Libre uh, back in the day, uh, it was a boom market. So everything was going up. Uh, failure was impossible. Uh, valuations were high or what prices were at the time, etc. You started Mercado Libre in 2021? <laughs> Very similar context uh, with different internet penetration. I think during that time, because we raised capital relatively easily. We, we, we started investing too aggressively on growth, too aggressively on advertising, not really measuring the ROI of that investment, not really measuring how sustainable that could be. Uh, and I think that looking backward, we should have invested less, should have invested less in that area and clearly more in product. So I would say that those two things, one is less marketing, more in product. Luckily, we corrected that within the first six months of the company, and then the company became totally obsessed about product, about technology, and that ended up being a big differentiator versus the other companies that were competing with us at the time, and, and that's why I think one of the reasons why Mercury ended up winning that battle, but I wish we had done that earlier. That resonates a lot. I led growth at Duolingo, and a lot of people think growth is putting money on Facebook. You know, it was no, like we actually spent no money on marketing. It was just products, and that was the differentiator of that company. So instead of just talking about your failures, what are three things that you think made Meli such a success? Number one, the team had and has is quite uh, unique. You look at the leadership of, of the company. Marcos was there when, when he started the company and is still there today, 25 years later. Some of the people that are in the executive group are those that were in the company then. Some of those joined the company later, but had been there for 15 years, some of them for 10 years, so people with lots of experience and a great culture, right? I think uh, when, you, when you look at Marco Libre's culture, it's one where uh, people really focus on, on getting things done and there are no politics, no, no bureaucracy. Uh, so I think that the team, for sure, was one uh, big advantage. The other one was, except for that initial period of a few months, then the company really focused on technology. I think that that's critical. You're building technology business. It's fundamental. You try to have that, that competitive edge, that mode built around technology because that is much more defensible than we need, as I said earlier, on marketing on other, or, or other things. Uh, and then how the, the company kept on innovating, right? Obviously, at the beginning, it was the marketplace and then it was 
mercado pago, and then mercado créditos, and eventually uh, the, the logistics business. So I think the capacity to reinvent yourself and, and hey, wh why should we do this if we're already very successful? Because otherwise we will not continue being so successful. That, well, why should you add another thing and, and make things more complex? I think to, to have that mentality of uh, obviously be very happy and proud of, of what you built, but it's never enough. This is, as, as, as that famous uh, book says, it's an infinite game. So you, you can never get to the end of it. You need to keep on going forward, keep on going forward, understand what is the next most important thing that you need to, to solve when you are going through that process. Skipping ahead a little bit, almost you know, like at the end of your journey with, with Meli, a lot of entrepreneurs here are very early stage, but it's important to see ahead. And that's why we put together events like this. So in terms of the exit, leaving Meli and how you chose to exit and choices that were made in the events that happened with eBay, I would love to hear about that. I understand. Um, I think they, they ended up having a big chunk of the company, which made it hard on the cap table in terms of like raising subsequent rounds. And that led to other decisions. So I would love to hear you talk about that from the point of view of entrepreneurs here who might think about how to exit their, their company and things to avoid. Sure. So uh, eBay at the time was a very different company versus the one you know today. Think of Apple, Amazon, maybe Meta, Google today. That, that was the kind of company that eBay was at the time. So we really looked up to them. And they were the only internet company that was profitable, generating cash, etc. So when they decided to come to the region and partner with someone, we, we thought that we had to be that someone. Otherwise, uh, our future was at risk. So, so we did everything possible to, to agree with them on, on a deal. Obviously, they also looked into our competitors, but luckily ended up deciding on, on Mercado Libre. We, we entered in a relationship where they owned 19.5% of, of the company in exchange of a company that they had in Brazil and that they contributed to, to Mercado Libre. Uh, that asset was great because it, the Mercado Libre business has this, the, this thing of the network effect. So it was mm -hmm. great to add more volume to our platform to, to get that network effect uh, going and, and, and accelerate. But then we also got a best practice sharing agreement with that deal. And we thought initially that that was going to be of little value to us. It ended up being fantastic because we got access to everything that eBay was doing at the time. Obviously, at the time, it was a much larger company, as I said, much more successful. So we could look into what they were doing, what was working there, what was not working there, and then make our own decisions of what we wanted to do. Because of that relationship, we thought that the most natural thing for us was to be acquired by eBay. And we had many negotiations with them. So eventually they would come and say, okay, we want to buy you. Oh, fantastic. But this is the price. And we said, we like you, but the price doesn't match our expectations. So we were not ready to, to move forward. Then they, they walked away and then came back sometime later saying, okay, you had this expectation. We are going to meet it. Now, and I said, no, but, but now the price is not the same because the company kept on growing. So we had that dance for a while until eventually we did a, came to an agreement with them. That was in 2006. Mm -hmm. So we thought that we were going to be acquired by eBay. And then eBay internally 
had some dilemmas and they were facing some challenges in, in Europe that was an important market for them. And the board decided, you know what, we, we don't want to uh, acquire uh, Marco Alibre. So we thought that we had a deal. Luckily, we did not start uh, spending that money. Uh, you didn't buy a house. And so luckily, I did not. And, uh, and then the, the, the deal evaporated. I was talking with an entrepreneur yesterday about uh, the, the, they were having some M&A discussions and the M&A route is one that you certainly should consider, but, but it takes longer than you think and chances of, of converting that into a closed dealer are not high. In this case, it was a company that we knew for five, six years. We had personal relationship with all the executives. Everyone said it was fine. We had a, a handshake deal and, and the deal did not go through. We need to be aware of, of that. That obviously, when, when uh, the deal fell through, we were, wow, surprised. Uh, I have to admit that uh, we did our uh, short morning because of, of that. But then we said, okay, let's move on and let's keep on building the company we want to build and, and let's have alternatives. Let's make sure we make them regret this decision. Uh, and a year or so later, we went public in the NASDAQ. At the valuation issue, it was similar to the price that eBay uh, had offered, but then very quickly, the, the price of Marco Olive and the, the stock market grew significantly. And obviously, today, uh, it, it was a fantastic thing that eBay did not acquire Marco Olive, but at the time, it was a disappointment. So it, it's hard to know exactly what happens. That was out of luck a little bit because they said no, uh, and then things ended up working really well for us. In, in my opening yesterday, I talked about my B-sides a little bit, which means like my down moments in life. I've been laid off and fired. And my parents always say, when a window closes, a door opens. And you look back and you're able to, to recognize that. It was exactly like that. Yes. And it's so inspiring because I know that there are a lot of entrepreneurs here. I personally know of one right now who just experienced exactly this about one month ago. And it's a great reminder that Mercado Libre has been through it too. And looking back, it was actually good. Yeah, I was telling these entrepreneurs yesterday that uh, if you want that deal to go through, the most important thing you need to do is to keep on building your own business and making sure that you don't get too distracted because uh, you need to have that fallback uh, very solid. And by the way, if you are in a conversation with a potential buyer, uh, and the company is doing better and better and better, the chances of that transaction to happen increase. And, and if the contrary happens, uh, the chances of that transaction uh, happening are, are lower. So, so you need to make sure that you keep on working on, on the business and, and don't forget that that is the most important thing. One, one investor earlier on in, in, in our Mercury Life said, uh, companies uh, do not get sold, someone buys them. I think that's what happens. So we need to keep on creating value. And if you create value, I believe that eventually there'll be a way for you to capture some of that value in a different form by hopefully an IPO or, or an acquisition or even or dividends. Absolutely. Now, Hernan, you left Meli and you decided, I want to keep going. I want to keep building, play the infinite game. But you decided not to build another company. You decided to invest. Tell us about that decision. Uh, it's a great question. Uh, Sometimes where when I think if I want to be only one thing in, in life, I think I would say an entrepreneur, an operator. I like that experience. I like being directly 
related to, to the relationship with the people that are executing, etc. cetera. Uh, having done that, I think it's the more comfortable to be an investor later on because uh, all the pressure is on the entrepreneurs and you have the pressure of the entrepreneurs, but not the pressure of the market, of the customers, of the team. So it's a bit more, more comfortable. Uh, and I think when, when you're in your 20s, you have one level of energy. When you are in your 40s, that level of energy changes. Uh, in the Mercoibe days, we were working 25 by 7. So, so it really was lots of work. So it was was great a combination. And, and I think that we could use some of our experiences as entrepreneurs to try to be better investors. What if you were to start a company today? You had to. What industry do you think you'd be in interested in or do you have an idea of what that might be? AI. <laughs> yeah, tell us more. No, I, I think a, a sector that I'm really interested in is a, everything around climate tech. Mm -hmm. I think it's a big, big uh, challenge. Probably number one challenge that we have as as humanity, uh, and I think the only way to solve it is through technology. Obviously, we need to be conscious about you know, burning less fuel and, and, and producing less waste, etc. But, but the solution will not come from trying to reduce our consumption of those things or our generation of waste. It will come out of technology. So I think there are lots of, of opportunities there. But, but so tell entrepreneurs, you know, one thing is to identify a problem, and that's easy. Like any of you can name 20 very relevant problems today. The big challenge is to identify a solution for that problem. And then that's when you realize, okay, now I do have uh, an edge. I, I do have uh, the chance of building a company around that solution. You don't build companies around problems. You build companies around solutions, right? So uh, I don't have a clear solution. For, for climate, uh, but it's an area that I think I, I would look into. Uh, and then uh, about AI, certainly I think it's, it's an incredible revolution. Uh, well, what is happening, um, it's hard for us to, I'm sure that all, everyone here realizes that it's an amazing opportunity, but for all of us, it's, it's going to be a challenge to understand what will be built over the next few years. It's going to be much more than what we think. Uh, and there are two ways to, to approach it, right? One is, okay, you go, deep into large language models and, and you do build the, the engines of, of AI or you're a company that starts using AI on different layers to, to make your processes more efficient, to uh, acquire um, customers in a better way, to convert them with a higher rate, etc. So I think we're going to see all the companies reshaping everything internally because of different modules of AI that they will be using. So I think AI will, will change uh, everything. And I'm very optimistic about it. There are ways, not, some, some people say I might, might be negative, might be positive. I'm totally optimistic about it. What we will have is better, more efficient products, services, etc. And it's hard to argue with. I think anyone here would invest in you. So if you ever do choose that. <laughs> It's one thing to be interested in AI and interested in climate tech and, and opportunities. It's another one to have to choose companies to invest in. So I'm curious, how is Kazek thinking about investing specifically in AI and in climate tech? What are the opportunities we have as entrepreneurs in Latin America right now? 
So in general, we react more to what we meet in the market rather than we have a hypothesis and we go and try to look companies within that uh, hypothesis. So sa- sometimes, you know, we, we think a sector because of new technology, et cetera, might emerge uh, as a winner. And then we end up not investing in any company there because we don't find the right company, the right entrepreneur, the right opportunity. And sometimes an entrepreneur walks into our office and tells us about the sector that we didn't even have in our radar. But once we hear the pitch, we get very convinced about it and end up investing. So at the end of the day, I think the, the, the ones that command where innovation will happen are the entrepreneurs. So we let that, 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 that go and, and, and react to, to it. So it's not so much about how do we think the portfolio will, will be put together. It's more about what we end up finding in the market. And, and for us, it's more about the extraordinary entrepreneurs rather than an idea of what sector might, might grow or not. Have you guys invested in any AI-based company? We are currently discussing with a couple of companies that you could say are, are a significant part of what they do is driven by AI. We're not investing in large language models, right? So it's not that we're investing in open AI, but we're investing in, in the, the second layer mm-hmm. of that process. And then, as I was saying earlier, all our companies are, are working around AI. Uh, and there are the challenges to, to define where to invest now, where to start exploring, but, but be a little bit more cautious and where to wait. And because if you go forward and try to invest in AI across the board, you might make many mistakes. So you don't want to be too early there because it might be the, the, the famous bleeding edge, but you don't want to be there too late and then your competitor outpaces you and, and when you realize it's too late for you to react. Cool. Now, talking about investment decisions. I think anyone here would be happy to one day work with Kazek. Of course, you look for uh, entrepreneurs who bring great opportunities in terms of a large TAM, in terms of large enough products that they are the right person to, to actually solve that product or that problem. However, there's that other thing, which is like that person just has the je ne sais quoi, they're, they're, they seem inevitable that you also look for. Can you tell us more about what are the characteristics that you think make an entrepreneur really interesting for investment opportunities? Yeah, obviously everything you said is there, so check, check, check. Yeah. Uh, on top of that, uh, this idea of founder market fit that you somehow mentioned is very relevant. So why this person will have a higher chance of building that solution versus someone from the outside? So, so you need to see that because of what is required, what is needed, uh, that person may have a good match to, with the problem they are trying to solve, with the solution they are trying to build. Uh, then uh, leadership is very relevant, and leadership can be you know, defined in many ways, but, but the way we, we think of leadership when we look into, into an entrepreneur is the capacity to convince others to make your dream theirs, right? And, and, and that's something that it's very important because when you're an entrepreneur, it's maybe it's you or maybe you plus a couple of co-founders. So it's a really, really small team and that team needs to convince lots of other people to join. They need to convince investors to join. They need to convince clients to join. Uh, and the right way to do it is by convincing others that what you're pursuing is their dream. And then they make that dream really what they want to build in life. And that culture is, is, is very real. So, so entrepreneurs that can do that is fundamental 
of this process. Then obviously you want people that are somehow product focused. They might be engineers or they might not be, but, but we want entrepreneurs that are product focused. Obviously they're basically honest people that, that are open, that share uh, bad news first, and, and those kind of things are very uh, relevant. And I think that is very important also in this process is uh, you want entrepreneurs to be very convinced about what they're doing, what they're building, uh, a little bit stubborn, if you will, but sometimes you want entrepreneurs to listen, right? And, and, and sometimes when you find someone that listens too much, Maybe that person is not so convinced and is waiting for you to tell him or her what to do. And someday when you find someone who is very stubborn, they don't listen at all. I think that uh, rich entrepreneurs are the ones that listen, 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 and then they pay attention to 10% of what they listen uh, and, and end up executing 90% of what they thought. But, but that combination is, is very important because nobody gets it 100% right. But you need to be convinced because to, to be a good entrepreneur, you need to be a little bit of a contrarian. Uh, and for that, you need to be very convinced about what you believe will happen in, in the future. You have to be very convinced about that insight the, that you think will, will rule in your industry or what, with your product. And what about the opposite? What are some things that you see commonly that entrepreneurs do when they're trying to pitch Kazek that's like an obvious, this is not going to work out. This is like a faux pas. One thing that, that, at least for us, is, is the me, 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 like those entrepreneurs that have too big of, of an ego. I think what, what, what we always try to say is that entrepreneurs have to have gigantic self-conviction and very little egos. And that's something that it's hard to have together, right? It's like if you have lots of uh, self-awareness about how great you are, how what you kind of do, it's, you have a big ego, so... so so that combination is, is, is very relevant and, and hard to, to find. Then talking about exits, if you feel that the goal of the entrepreneur is to exit the business, to get a financial return out of it, that's not what, what, what you want. You want more the romantic story that that person is really passionate about what he or she is building and, and, and why they are trying to solve that problem, etc. Because if, it, if it's a financial decision, it's probably a, pure, a, a poor financial decision because uh, the Excel doesn't work. Like, like chances of success are like this, most likely that you will fail or that you will face at some point a big challenge. And, and if you're doing it because of the financial return, when, when you hit one of those low points, you, you, you tend to, to basically leave. Uh, and that's when you have to double down, double down. And those are the ones that can go through those tough periods are the ones that end up building something big. So, so those are some of the things that uh, we, we, we try to avoid when, when we see in, in an entrepreneur. Speaking of financial returns, since you're an investor, one question that I got from, from the audience via WhatsApp was, you know, entrepreneurs, basically, they put all of their chips in one thing. Like that's their life opportunity. And of course, they want to solve a problem that's bigger than them, but they also hope that this is where they're going to strike gold. Investors are a lot more about diversifying because you have a portfolio and of course you want all of your entrepreneurs to succeed. But if one doesn't, it's okay if another one does. Do you have any advice for founders from a financial perspective in terms of uh, diversification of their assets? Well, I think at the beginning, you need to be 
single focused, single exposed. Well, there are, there are two, two things. One is value creation and the other is value preservation, right? If you're an entrepreneur, you need to be very focused on value creation. And for that, concentration is the thing. If you look at history of finance and, and how value, how wealth was created is around concentration. We're very concentrated bets that end up working. Once you, you, you create wealth, then you start working about diversification and other things. And then that's when, when preservation plays in. So the entrepreneur needs to be very focused on a value preservation. And so for the first few years until the company is really a company, you need to be entirely focused there. Once you realize that you built something and that something has some value and you start kind of uh, having a, a dilemma there, because on the one hand, you have all the eggs in one basket and that basket somehow is worthy because you, you built something, but, but you know that there's significant upside there. And you start having conversation with the investor and the investor say, no, go, go big or go home, right? It's, no, but, but, but I'm already relatively big and for me this is relevant. So we started having those discussions. I think it's fair to try to agree with the entrepreneurs to, to do some, some secondaries for them. So they started kind of, okay, I'm relieved because I left uh, most of my wealth there, but I took out something that, that I did say, it's not that I'm going to uh, be a, a billionaire, but, but I'm, I'm comfortable with this, so I, I, I will keep on playing the game long-term uh, versus having everything there, and, and, and then when there's a small risk, you, you become afraid of it because you don't want to lose that, and instead of really pushing forward, pushing forward, pushing forward, that is what entrepreneurs need to do, you start kind of hesitating. And when you start hesitating, that, that's, that's when things don't work, right? So, so I think it is totally fair at, at some point, and then well, well, that, that is subjective, when is the right no, not too early, not too late, to try to align incentives with, with, with investors. Because as you well said, investors have a diversified portfolio. But for them, if you believe that this is the industry of power law and that eventually you will get the returns only at the very end if the company is very, very successful, uh, you need to align that with the entrepreneurs. Because otherwise, the entrepreneurs will, will sell too soon and you will never get there. Or, or you will force entrepreneurs always to go all the, end, all, all the way until the end and then they may lose an opportunity to somehow hedge their, their, their finances. So, so I think it's that, that, that's something that is worth discussing. And in the past, in the industry, that was something that totally prohibited and you could not talk about it. Eventually, it became something too normal. And, and you were in a Series A and, and entrepreneurs were getting secondaries. I think that's not healthy. Uh, but something in between, I think it's, it's reasonable to, to think of. I would love to talk to you about the moments that we're in. Like, as everyone must know, you've been through the dot-com bust of the economic crisis of 2009 um, and everything in between. And we're in a bust right now. How would you see this moment as compared to the, the previous ups and downs? And how would you look at the opportunity in the next 10 years from a more macro perspective, thinking as, especially as an entrepreneur, but also as an investor? Yeah, I, I think in... In terms of market behavior, the moment is very similar to, to all the other swings that we see in the market because what, what happens typically in the market is that because of a new technology, because of a particular situation, we all become very optimistic and, and we think that uh, things will only grow, that uh, plans will be accomplished, etc. And, uh, and that commands some 
irrational behavior about everything is possible, price doesn't matter because the upside is infinite. And then eventually someone starts realizing that yeah, maybe we're exaggerating a little bit and I start hesitating and I start moving chips off the table. And when that starts to happen, the whole market suddenly realizes and, and moves to the other extreme that is nothing will work and, and technology will, will, will not create any value and, and there's no price that justifies investing in this idea and, and you go to the, the other extreme. And, and that happens, obviously, reality is always in the middle. So as an entrepreneur, you need to realize that, that reality is always in the middle. So when you're in a boom, you don't get too excited, try to raise capital, but manage it in a smart way so you can last for, for a longer period of time. When you're in a very negative situation, try to uh, somehow look forward and, and know that that will not last forever. It will be a semester, it will be a year, it will be two years, but, but not forever. But, but that doesn't mean that things will be fair, right? This, this is a market in general is very Darwinian. So lots of people compete, but then very few make it to the end. So, so sometimes you have the, the right company, the right idea, uh, you raise some capital, start executing. And then when you were planning to, to raise a new round, the cold market hits you. And even if your idea was fine and you were showing some progress, et cetera, you don't get financed and your company dies. And, and you can say that was unfair because you had a good idea and, and, and things were working, but, but the market did not help you. So that, that happens sometimes where you see companies get financed in those very optimistic days. And, and then when you look back at those companies, you realize that company shouldn't have existed. And it didn't make any sense. So... So uh, the, the, the market, when it's positive, it gives opportunities to many that maybe did not deserve it. When the market is negative, maybe uh, the market ends up killing some company that did deserve to exist, but because of timing, could not make it. Uh, so, so that's the important thing. It's like uh, luck and timing is very relevant in this industry. It's not only about having the right idea, right? but everything needs to be <laughs> somehow in the right moment with the, uh, the right uh, scenario around you. So, but, but I think the, the, the market, the big difference that you have today versus the past is that today, uh, critical mass is there. Mm-hmm. When we started Mercado Libre 25 years ago, there was no market. So, so we really had to wait until the market developed to eventually show that we had product market fit. I think that today, any company that has product market fit can be profitable within a very short period of time. So... There are fewer things that you need to, to prove today because the market is there and, and you will get clients and you will get revenues if you have the, the right you know, value proposition. Uh, but still, the ups and downs are, are there and, and this is a, an industry where you are always investing for the future. Mm-hmm. So you need capital to build that future before you become profitable. Thank you, Ardan. This has been a pleasure. Thank you for making time out of your day. Thank you for listening to Latitude Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast for more talks with great founders and investors. I'm your host, Brian Reckworth. Vamos Latam. See you next week.